0: Well, let's pray together and uh, and open up God's word. Bring your grace upon us, Jesus, in a fresh way, I pray. Upon me, Lord, to enable me to communicate these amazing truths. Upon us, to give us hearts to receive them and to believe them. And that you would do a deep work in us now. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're starting a series on marriage this morning, and I've got that little questionnaire inside your bulletin again, so you can be jotting down questions, putting them in the offering basket when it comes by, or emailing them to me, or just leaving them on the back table. But this week I did a little research on, on some marriage statistics, and it was, it was no surprise, but statistically, uh, things look bleak for marriage. 45% of the marriages in this country end in divorce, almost half. Of every marriage, and even amongst those who would say they are Christians, thirty-three percent, a third, of all marriages end in divorce. And of course, that's not counting those, or says nothing about those who stay married but whose marriages have no sense of love or warmth or affection or uh, joy together. So statistically, for us here at Mercy Hill Church, things don't look good right? I mean, statistically, that would mean that a third of the marriages in this room will end up in divorce, and many of those that don't will still grow to to lack any kind of love, warmth, closeness, joy, um, intimacy together, okay? But that's not what God wants. It's not God's plan. It's not God's purpose. God's intention in marriage is that your marriage would be a place of deep, profound closeness and love and loyalty, and affection, and warmth, and joy. That's his intention for your marriage. His intention is that your marriage would be so full of Jesus' love as you love each other, that your kids would see Jesus' love in the way you relate to each other, and that your brothers and sisters in your home group would be encouraged about how loving Jesus is as they watch you love each other, and that your marriage would be like a little kingdom outpost there in your neighborhood, shining with Jesus' love and mercy and goodness to your neighbors around you. That's Jesus' intention for your marriage. He doesn't just want your marriage to survive, he wants it to thrive, right? So the big question is, how is that possible? Third of marriages of people who say they're Christians end in divorce... How is it possible to resist that, to avoid that, and to have a marriage that thrives? The only way that's possible is if your marriage is based, built on Christ's grace. The only way it's possible is if your marriage is grace-based. And that's why I want us to, uh, to dig in a little bit deeper. I want to explain that this morning. What does that mean? And then over the next weeks, I want to drill deeper into what that looks like and how it's expressed in different facets of of marriage. So what does it mean to be grace-based for a marriage? To answer that, you've got to start with what God's purpose is for marriage. That's where I want to begin this morning. Somebody wrote a question down about that. What is the purpose of marriage? So to answer that, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. We are passionate about the Bible here. I'd like each to be able to have one. We're going to look at a lot of different scriptures this morning. So raise your hand. Usher will bring you a Bible. Ephesians chapter 5 is on page 978 in the Bibles we're passing out. A little bit of background so you have some context for this book. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to a city, believers in a city named Ephesus. Around A.D. 50, Paul had gone to Ephesus and preached about Jesus. A handful of people put their trust in Jesus Christ, were saved. A little church was planted. Paul stayed there for about another uh, two years, and then he left. And then uh, about eight years later, A.D. 60, Paul wrote this letter to them. And what Paul focuses on in this letter, his letter to the church in Ephesus, is two things. He describes the wonders of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ, and then he spells out how that transforms different areas of our lives. He goes through our areas of life one at a time. And in Ephesians chapter 5, second half of that chapter, he talks about how God's work of salvation in Christ transforms marriage. Now, we're going to be digging into this whole passage more in the weeks to come, but this morning... I want to focus just on verses 31 and 32. So look at what Paul says here. Therefore, reading Ephesians 5:31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, now in verse 31, Paul is quoting a verse that's first found in the Bible back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis 2, 24 is arguably one of the most important verses about marriage in the Bible. So, I want to get the context of it, or have you get the context of it, so let's turn all the way back. Keep your finger here in Ephesians 5, and turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and I want to show you what's going on with this verse, so we'll have an understanding of what Paul wants us to understand when he quotes it in Ephesians chapter 5. So here's some some background. You all the way back there? Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, all the way back to the left, Genesis chapter 2. Are you all there? Okay, and in verse seven, we see that God creates Adam, Genesis two verse seven. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then in verses eight and nine, God creates the Garden of Eden for Adam, and plants and fruit and rivers, and he provides for Adam almost everything that Adam needs. And the reason I say he provides almost everything that Adam needs is because at this point, Adam is alone. And God sees that that's not good. Look at what God says in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so God Brings all these animals to Adam, but out of all the animals, none of them are a helper fit for him. And then look at what God does in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So it was not good that that Adam was alone. And God met this need by creating Eve, his wife. Now, just a parenthesis, this doesn't mean that if you are single, that God has chosen to leave you in your alone state. There's other ways that God meets our need for companionship. But here, it's very important, creation story, God meets Adam's need for companionship by bringing him his wife, Eve. And so the conclusion then that is drawn from this event is in verse 24. And this is the verse that Paul quotes in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, Genesis 2.24 a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So I see four truths about marriage here in Genesis 2, 24. First of all, God created marriage. Do you see that? Verse 24 explains why is it that people get married? And in verse 24, it's therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. It's because of what God did in bringing Adam his wife. Wife, God created marriage. Marriage is not a social institution that we've thought up or has kind of evolved over time. It's not an institution that we can mess with as we will. It's God's plan. It's God's institution. It's God's purpose. His idea. He created marriage. Secondly, marriage involves the man establishing a new household. Verse 24 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. The initiative is with the man. We'll be talking in the weeks to come about the unique role of loving, serving, self-sacrificing leadership that God gives to husbands in marriage. But I want you simply to see here that marriage is initiated by the man leaving his father and mother, establishing a new household. Third. This is a long one. Marriage involves a God-created, exclusive, lifelong closeness between a man and his wife. I get that from that next phrase, and hold fast to his wife. This Hebrew word, hold fast, is a, is a word describing a very profound Closeness and intimacy. There's a Hebrew dictionary put it this way: it, it describes clinging together in affection and loyalty. Did you love that? Clinging together in affection and loyalty. Now, there's lots of other ways that we humans can experience affection and loyalty with other human beings, but marriage is ordained by God as the closest, okay? Now, where do I get the idea of being God-created and lifelong? It's because of what Jesus says in Matthew 19. Just jot down Matthew 19, like verses 1 through 12. Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24, and a conclusion that he draws from Genesis 2, you, you, you've heard the phrase, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So, two important things there. Marriage is a God created closeness. Okay? God joins a husband and wife together in a God created closeness, and let not man separate it. It's a lifelong God created closeness. So, that's the third truth about marriage. God created exclusive, lifelong closeness. Fourth, this closeness is expressed in sexual relations. Notice the last phrase. They shall become one flesh. Hey, God made our bodies to fit together in a way that brings great pleasure to the man and to the woman. Sex is God's gift to us. And so the, the physical act of sexual intimacy expresses this God-created closeness and it, it deepens this God created closeness. And we'll be talking about, about sexual relations in the weeks to come as well. So there's four truths about marriage. Okay, now so that's Genesis 2.24 in the context. What's going on? Now turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want you to see what Paul says about this closeness that's there in marriage. Back to Genesis, I'm sorry, back to Ephesians chapter 5. Read verse 31 again. Therefore. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So here's the description of this God created, exclusive, lifelong, profound affection, loyalty, intimacy, closeness between a a man and his wife. And then look at what Paul says in verse 32 this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery, the the amazing closeness between a man and a woman in marriage, this this mystery, this closeness in marriage is profound. And Paul is telling us that, that it, this closeness in marriage, refers to something else. Christ and the church. The closeness of marriage, the the unity of marriage, the affection, the loyalty, the one flesh, the, the bonding together that God creates in marriage is a profound thing and it's referring to, it's pointing to, its purpose is to display Christ's love for the church. Christ's gracious covenant with his bride. You know, Jesus came, laid his life down to save his bride, the church. Jesus alludes to him being the groom and the church being the bride. This is a metaphor throughout the Old Testament, Israel being the bride of God. And and all through the New Testament, Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. This is the picture of what God does for us through Jesus Christ. Now, again, when you hear the word church, when you hear that this closeness of marriage points to Christ in the church... Don't think of church as a building or as a meeting. Church is the redeemed. God's saved, blood-bought men and women, starting back Genesis all the way through to the end of history. That's the church. Saved people, people who have put their trust in Jesus and through Jesus' death on the cross have been forgiven and justified and born again. So that's the purpose for marriage. Marriage. The profound closeness of marriage described in Genesis 2.24, quoted in verse 31, that profound, mysterious closeness of marriage refers to, points to, has its purpose of displaying Christ's grace towards the church. That's the purpose for marriage. Before there was any marriage, before anything was created... God had planned to send Jesus to die on the cross to save men and women like a groom, his bride, the church before, any, before creation, before anything. And then God instituted marriage. And one of the purposes for this, this temporary institution of marriage is to display Jesus' grace towards the church. And the day will come when marriage will be over. Right? Jesus made that very clear in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. That the temporary the display, the demonstration is over, and the reality comes. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Right, Your closeness with Jesus, beholding him, enjoying fellowship with him forever. So the purpose of marriage between creation and the end time judgment is to display Christ's grace for the church. Now, how is Christ gracious towards the church? Let's talk about that just so we have some some specifics to to hang our thoughts on here. And I just, there's lots of ways we could describe this. I just put down three here from the book of Ephesians. How is Christ gracious towards the church? If your marriage is to display Christ's grace toward the church, what's Christ's grace towards the church like? First, Christ's grace is freely given to an undeserving church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says that we're children of wrath, which simply means that because of our rebellion against God, what we deserve is God's wrath. If we're talking about what people deserve, what justice owes us, the answer is God's wrath. That's what we owe. It's important to, to, to get in touch with this and to, and to consider that and to think deeply. We don't deserve any grace. We deserve only wrath because of our rebellion against God. But Jesus lavishes grace upon an undeserving church. He pours his grace out upon an undeserving church. And so, that's what marriage is to display. Okay, As husbands, wives, as you continue to give each other undeserved grace, It is so easy in marriage to start thinking about what you think your spouse deserves now. You should never go there. It's not your call. Your call is to display Christ's grace towards the church, and his grace pours out upon an undeserving church. Second, Christ's grace loves the church by giving himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25. This is a word to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. And he loved the church to the extent of giving himself up. Giving himself completely up on the cross to pay for her sins. That's how much he loved the church. And here Paul says, this is how much husbands should love your wives. Now, in Ephesians 5, verse 2, Paul says we're all supposed to love each other the way Christ gave himself up for the church. And so wives should love their husbands in the same way. We'll talk about the unique aspects of headship that are described in verse 25 in weeks to come. But at this point, the reality is that we're called to Show grace to each other in our marriages as a picture of how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Don't ever have in your mind the idea of, well, I will be, I'll be glad to meet my wife halfway any day. See what's behind that? That's not giving yourself up. That's like hedging your bets, is what that is. Did Jesus meet the church? Halfway, Jesus went all the way. He gave himself up for the bride. That's what we're called to do. Husbands towards wives, wives towards husbands. Jesus loves the church by giving himself up for her. Third, Christ's grace forgives the church. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The wonder of Christ's forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. That's an astonishing thing. And he forgives us in Christ, in Christ who gave himself up for us and died on the cross for us. So think about it. Christ never sins against the church, does he? The church frequently sins against Christ, don't we? And Christ forgives us again and again and again and again. We need to talk about this in the weeks ahead. I am sure there are marriages here in this room where the the mountain of grudges held against each other is high, and the separation between you is great. And God can remove that mountain. It'll take some gutsy initiative, man. But He will give you grace. Forgiveness will come. That's what marriage is to display. Husbands and wives forgiving each other day after day after day after day after day. So that's Christ's grace. And God chose to create marriage. One of the main purposes of marriage is to display Christ's grace. This mystery is profound. And Paul is telling us it refers to Christ and the church. That's the purpose of marriage. You know, I thought it might be helpful at this point to give you a couple of specifics as to how this might look. How might marriage picture Christ's grace? Now, I thought of three kind of dramatic examples, but just, I want you to get a flavor of what we're talking about here. And then I'll show you how this makes it, I hope, really clear that your marriage has to be based on grace if it's going to display grace. You have to be receiving Christ's grace if you're going to be showing Christ's grace. Here's a couple of examples. Imagine a husband whose wife, very soon after they're married, becomes sick and bedridden and is an invalid for the rest of her life. That's what happened, I've told this story before, Benjamin Warfield, who was a theology professor at Princeton, uh, early 1900s, he married Annie Kincaid, and the two of them went to Europe on their honeymoon where she was struck by lightning and ended up bedridden and invalid for the rest of her life. And Benjamin Warfield loved her and cared for her for the rest of her life, was faithful to her. He couldn't leave the house for more than two or three hours at a time. And so he didn't. He just laid his life down for her. And so, so can you, see, that marriage fulfills its God-given purpose. Do you see that? What a display of Christ's grace towards the church. As Benjamin Warfield gave himself up for his wife, it pictures Christ giving himself up for the church. As Benjamin Warfield would not leave his wife, it displays Christ's not leaving the church. It fulfills God's purpose for marriage. You might think, how could the marriage like that fulfill its purpose for marriage? When you see it from God's perspective and from a God-centered, grace-centered perspective, it fulfills the purpose for marriage. Another example, imagine a wife whose husband wasn't faithful to her. And one day he comes to her weeping, confessing his unfaithfulness, repenting before her, pleading with her to forgive him. You can just imagine she is devastated, and crushed, and heartbroken. If you can just feel that. I mean, he has sinned against her. He does not deserve forgiveness from her. Right? But then picture this wife. I forgive you. And she chooses to rebuild trust. And she chooses not to hold it against him. She chooses to not love him any less, instead to seek to love him more. She chooses to care for him, not any less, but instead to care for him more. She chooses to hold nothing back from him. She is fulfilling Christ's purpose for her marriage in that act. Do you see that? She's displaying Christ's grace toward the church there. So the fact that she's giving forgiveness to an undeserving husband displays Christ's forgiveness to an undeserving church. Do you see that? Her dying to her dream of having a faithful husband. She's got to give that up for him. Shows Jesus giving himself up for the church. Do you feel that? Okay. Her continuing with her husband shows Jesus saying to the church, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. It's a display of Christ's grace. One more example. A husband who knows that distance has grown between him and his wife over the years. There's been lots of pain, there's been lots of bitterness, there's been lots of grudges held, there's been lots of discord. And you know how it can happen. The distance has grown over the years until it feels almost insurmountable at that point. There's very little connection. I mean, the kids are gone at that point, and it's like, what, what's left here? There's just this big, big wall. But instead of letting that continue, he, he chooses to love and to, to seek to initiate conversation. Hun, can, can we talk? I'm not happy about how things are going. Can we talk about this? And in doing that, it's risky. Right? Husband bears the risk of of being shut down, of being mocked, of being rejected in some way. He knows he's not good at this sort of thing. He's going to stumble over his words. It's going to feel really, really awkward. But he does it. He asks his wife if they can sit down and talk. He confesses his sin. He confesses his fault. He confesses his side of this. And, and they talk more deeply than they have in years. He's fulfilling God's purpose in their marriage. Do you see that? So, as he's risking awkwardness to care for his wife and to seek to restore the closeness of their marriage, he's displaying Jesus willing to to lay it all down for the sake of the church. He's willing to endure discomfort, pain, possible rejection. shows Christ's willingness to endure great cost for the sake of the church. He's displaying Christ's grace there. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's the kind of grace we are called to display in our marriages. This mystery of marriage is profound. And Paul tells us that it refers to Christ and the church, it's to point to Christ and the church. So that when your kids see you, they will learn something about Jesus, grace towards the church. When when your brothers and sisters watch you interact, they'll see something of Christ in the church. When people in your neighborhood watch you talk together or people at the restaurant see you interacting together, they'll see something of Christ in the church. That's the purpose. See, there's going to be many times in, in your marriage when your wife will not be, or your husband will not be, what you wish he or she would be. That's just reality because they're not in heaven yet. They're not perfect yet, okay? And you'll need to continue to love them for Christ's sake to display his mercy. There'll be lots of times where it's hard for you to love your spouse. That's just the reality of marriage. Okay? I've got the best marriage I think anybody in the the entire world has. And I'm sure Jan has hard times loving me at times. But she does to display Christ's grace. We're going on 34 years, right? Okay. There'll be many times where you need to give something up for your spouse. Husbands, you'll need to give things up for your wife. Wives, you'll need to give things up for your husband. And you're called to do that for Christ's sake. Okay, now one of the reasons I want to share these dramatic... It's like, oh my goodness. Three of these in a row, boom, boom, boom. How could anybody do one-tenth of one of them? Right? That's what I want you feeling now. This is intentional. Because I want you asking the question, how is it possible? How could anyone live 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of marriage this way? How is it possible? There's only one way. You must base your marriage on grace, Christ's grace. Now, I'm not talking at this point about the two of you together based on Christ's grace. That's the aim. That's the goal. But you can't start there. You've got to start with what you can do. This is what you can do. You need to base your marriage as best as you can on Christ's grace. Okay, I'm talking about you, husbands, regardless of how your wife responds, you, husband, doing everything you can to base your marriage on Christ's grace so that your every word and your every feeling and your every attitude and your every thought would reflect Christ's grace toward the church. That's what I'm talking about. You, husbands, regardless of how your wife responds, doing what you can do. I'm talking about you wives, regardless of how your husband might respond, doing whatever you can do to base your marriage on Christ's grace. So that your every word, and your every attitude, and your every thought, and your every action is displaying Christ's grace. That's what I'm talking about. You, all by yourself, through Christ's grace, can take the steps necessary, regardless of how your spouse responds. That's very freeing. Because it means it's not dependent upon what they do. Okay? But how can you do that? There's only one way. And that is you yourself have got to sink your roots deep into Christ's grace yourself. Deep. Many roots sunk down into Christ's grace yourself. You've got to receive Jesus' lavish grace towards you as an undeserving person. And then as you receive that grace, you'll be able to bend it outward to, towards your spouse. The flow of grace has got to come from Jesus to you. And then you can flow that grace outward to your spouse. You, you've, you've got to sink your roots deep into Jesus' grace. And this is this is so crucial. This This is the foundational thing. You will never pull this off unless you do this sink your roots down deep into Christ's grace. You, you take time to, to come before him and just wait on him in the word, in prayer. You, you go hard after him. You seek him in the scriptures. Jesus, pour your grace into my heart. Fill me now with your love. I want to be rooted and grounded in your love for me. And as you do that, earnestly, passionately, Jesus will pour his grace into your heart. And there will be two profound results in your heart. One is, you'll be secure because you know all your sins are forgiven. You've been reconciled to God who's now your father. God's faithful promises, like we sang the song this morning, great is your faithfulness. His faithful promises will always be kept for you. He will guide you. He will provide for you. He will strengthen you. He will sustain you. He will meet you. He will comfort you. He will satisfy you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Your future is full of God's faithfulness. You are secure in Christ. And so it doesn't make any difference what your spouse does or doesn't do. You're secure. You have Jesus. Your roots are sunk deep. Do you feel that? The second result is, you'll be satisfied, because you'll have Jesus in your heart. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger He, who believes me will never thirst. All of you is more than enough for all of me, as we sang this morning. Have you tasted that? The best thing you can do for your spouse is to go hard after God, to experience Christ's grace being poured into your hearts. Do that for your spouse's sake. Oh, this is important. It's, it's so easy for, for churchgoers to pay lip service to this and not to experience it. Do you experience this? Have you felt this? Do you know the living Jesus in your heart? So you are secured and you're satisfied. You have him. He's all you need. You can keep loving no matter what happens in the future. And you're secured and then you're satisfied. That's how it's possible. You've got to base yourself on Christ's grace so that your side of the marriage can be based on Christ's grace as you extend grace to your spouse. So the purpose of marriage is to display Christ's grace. And the only way we can pull it off is if we are based on Christ's grace ourselves. Now let's, oh man, we don't really have time for any questions, do we? There's like one or two like really burning questions. I was, just in case, I'd like to open it up. I'll try to answer them. I mean, we've got weeks to come here. So if you have a question, you can jot down on your slip of paper and, and you know, give it to me or email it to me or whatever. We probably don't have time for questions. Some of you have given me some really good ones and we're going to be addressing them as they come up in the appropriate topics. Let me close by giving you two assignments, specific assignments. First is, just what I was saying, take special time this week to sink your roots deep into Christ's grace towards you. Oh, He loves you. He loves you. He has grace towards you, undeserving you. And take time to sink your roots deep with all your heart in prayer and in the word. Pour out your soul before Him. Cast all your burdens upon Him. He cares for you. You'll be secured and satisfied in His grace. That's the first assignment. Second assignment. Husbands, Initiate a time to talk with your wives. Ask them this. And wife can ask the husband the same question. What's one way I could show you more grace? Okay? What's one way that I could show you more grace? And then just stop there. Okay? Just stop right there. That's plenty for this week. And then sink your roots deep into Christ's grace. And give them that grace and start to experience the flow of grace from Christ to you, through you to your spouse. From Christ to you, through you to your spouse. Oh, it's getting hard. From Christ to you, through you to your spouse. I'm, I've had a lousy day at work. Okay. From Christ to you, through you to your spouse. From Christ to you, through you to your spouse. The flow of grace. That's what we're called to do. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Your grace towards us, Jesus, we will never know its breadth, its height, its depth, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge we will never for eternity plumb the depths of it. The cross is the astounding picture of its height and depth and breadth and length. And I ask, Lord, that each of us today, this coming week, would sink our roots deeper into your grace for us and that we would see you and be secured in you and be satisfied in you and that the flow of grace would so fill our hearts that we would forgive and lay down things and give ourselves up for and love our spouses and display your grace Jesus, towards the church so that our kids would see your grace, Jesus, so that our brothers and sisters in our home group would be encouraged by your grace, so that our neighbors, people at the workplace would see your grace in the way we love each other in our marriages. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.